0: Hey everybody, Insane Mike here, and before we get started with uh, tonight's episode, uh, a real quick message from all of us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. Um, We have a new sponsor, that's right, Shudder. 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 (laughs) Shudder. It's hard not to do it. That's right. So... Yeah, we now have uh, Shudder as a sponsor, which is awesome, and if you're not familiar with Shudder, they're an amazing streaming service that has, like, it's a basically Netflix for horror fans, and that is awesome. It's so cool. Very cool. Like, I, I love Shudder. We've had Shudder now for, what, like, two, three years, yeah. something like that, at well, least? Quite a while. Quite a while. And, and uh, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, just... It, From day one and turning that thing on and seeing some of the titles that they have on there because i'm one of those guys we you know we have it on our roku and i'm one of those guys that will surf roku for the different channels and will add every single (laughs) shitty cheesy classic horror movies (laughs) and it's the same like five tiles over and over again so at first i thought shutter not realizing it was associated with amc uh, that it was going to be just another one of these type of like channels, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, let's see if this will wow me. I click on it, boom, romantic, boom, a crap ton of shallow movies, boom! I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? So, yeah, it it's it's quite awesome, quite awesome. Uh, what do you guys think of Shudder? Love it. It's a bad mother Shudder. Oh, <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> Shudder your mouth. Just talking about Shutter. <laughs> So you can, you people out there, if you have not subscribed to Shutter yet, you need to. uh, For just four ninety nine a month, or forty nine ninety ninety nine a year. So cheap! It's dirt cheap, super dirt cheap, and you can get it like on your on your iPhone, on your Roku, like we have, uh, uh, like on your Xbox One, Apple TV, Apple TV, everywhere, Chromecast. Yes, you could literally get it just about anywhere. So, I would highly recommend it. Um, and with that said, I want to make sure everybody out there becomes a subscriber to Shudder. So, I'm going to do something crazy. What are you going to do, Mike? I'm going to give them something for free! What? Yes, I'd say Mike is giving every listener out there something for free. That's right. Pretty free, free. <laughs> One free month of Shudder... On me, on the Are you kidding? I found Attack of the Killer Podcast. A free month to check it out and see what all this hubbub's about. That's right, the hub and the bub. It's on there. It's all about. Yeah. So if you go to shutter. Dot com backslash podcast and enter the promo code AOTKp, wonder what that stands for. That stands for. Stop it! (laughs) Oh yeah, Attack of the Killer Podcast. That's right. Enter that promo code, and you will get a month of Shudder on us. That's right. And then write us. Write us and let us know what you think of Shudder. Yeah. Because, again, and yes, they're our sponsor, but, like, seriously, I'm sincere when I say I freaking love Shudder. And if you've been listening to the show for a while now, you know that that we love Shudder. Because we talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've talked about it forever, long before we, they ever became a sponsor. Yeah. Even the idea of them becoming a sponsor. So, so yeah, yeah, check it out. Um, again, that's shutter backslash podcast. Enter the promo code AOTKP. Any other anything else anybody want to add there about Shutter? Shutter. Sure. <laughs> if it's if it's Netflix and chill, is it like Shutter and? Kill. Ooh, yes, Yeah. Nice. We'll
1: start that. Shudder and Kill.
0: Sweet. So now that that is out of the way, let's get on with the show. Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, Gilman, the mummy, and the mean older brother from the Wonder Years. Yeah, Monster Squad on this episode of Attack of the Killer podcast live at Geektastic 2018.
2: Attention planet Earth and beyond. Attack of the Killer Podcast! Attack of the Killer Podcast! Attack of the Killer Podcast! Attack of the Killer Podcast!
0: Yay! Hello! welcome to a very special episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. We are recording here in Burlington, Iowa at Geektastic 2018. Uh, Tad, why don't you tell us what Geektastic is?
2: Geektastic is a small first-time convention here in Burlington, so there's been some fun activities. We've had some artists, vendors, um, an art demo. They had some sword fighting earlier and a Quidditch match that I had to miss, so I'm very curious how that went, but yeah. That's sort of you know a celebration of all things geek.
0: Awesome, cool. So, uh, so we're here doing this live show, and we're talking about m- 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 Monster Squad because tonight we'll be showing the new documentary Wolfman's Got Nards. Now, before we get into it, I got a, I got some some little housekeeping here. Um, uh, how many people here have heard our show before? One, two, three, four. Fifteen, sixty, okay. 30, 40. Um, how many people have not heard our show before?
2: I've, <laughs> me and Andre, all I've, right, I've well, never
0: heard our show before. <laughs> so I will let you know what Attack of the Killer podcast is all about. We are a horror-themed podcast where a group of friends get together, uh, this time actually in the same room and not on Skype. It's weird. So cool. Yeah. Uh, we come up with a topic and we discuss movies within that topic. Now it's a free-for-all conversation. Because we're all friends here, so there's probably going to be spoilers. Um, and you can listen to our show on our very own network called the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. The PFPN is a network started we started a couple months ago, and we just, this week, right, Jason? That's right. Added our 11th podcast to the network. Uh, it's called The Gore Score, so check it out. You can check that show out and all the others and our show on thepfpn.com. That's the PFPN.com. I'll let you all get it written down real quick. Okay, now we can move on. Uh, so speaking of shameless plugs, I want to take this opportunity to mention our Patreon uh, for next to nothing. We're talking like the change you find in your couch. Next to nothing every month. You can be a supporter of the show and get tons and tons of and tons that's right man. Tons. Come on in. Come on in. You know you want to. Oh he's gotta he's gotta I better shut up. He's probably want Now you have to okay. help him. <laughs> uh, you get tons of extra content by being a Patreon supporter. Uh, we're talking, like, special videos, bonus episodes, shout-outs on the show, commentary episodes, uh, my new YouTube series, Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten List, a uh, collection of music from the show. You can even get a t-shirt. It all just depends on the reward package that you pick. So you could check it out at patreon.com backslash A-O-T-K-P and pick which rewards best suits you. So now we should really get on with the show and... and Before we do that, it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. He also has nards. Ted Good, everybody. (laughs) Really? That's the best you got? That might
1: be the best one he has.
0: It was the best one. Yeah, I wrote this last night. The mummy was in his room, Jason Bollinger. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. He's a virgin. Well, there was Billy, but that doesn't count. Justin Beam.
3: (laughs) That was a special day.
0: And we also got uh, Phoebe the Phoebe, Remington Smith. I got that Phoebe, all right. Hi. (laughs) And our very, very, very special guest, uh, Andre Gower, who played Sean from Monster Squad, is here with us. Whoop, whoop. Oh, yeah, that's me. (laughs) That is you.
4: Hello. Hello, Phoebe the Phoebe. How are you? <laughs> it's, look, it's not a bad... It's the hero of the movie. You're good. That is You're
5: true. All good. That You're is all the good. heart
0: and soul of it. That's
5: right. Don't go, Frank. Hey, Stay everybody. Don't go.
0: So the Monster Squad, like, uh, never heard of it. It's a pretty good movie, right? Yeah, man. It has like the monsters. <laughs> it does. It's got all them monsters in it. Um, so why don't we just start off? Uh, uh, Andre, you know you're here um, also because of Wolfman's Got Nards because you directed that. Yeah, um, you know
4: Tad invited me to come to Burlington because he was putting together a rad double bill feature. Wanted to show the the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards and then you know followed up with a screening of the Monster Squad, which always works. It, it's kind of hand in glove there, kind of. And uh, the weekend was open, we took advantage of it, and why not? You know, I love stuff like this, so uh, thanks for having me, and thanks for bringing me in, and um, we're looking forward to tonight, which will, you know, be after the fact that you hear this, but it's good.
0: (laughs) And um, tell us a little bit about Wolfman's Got Nards. What, What is that doc about? You know,
4: about a year and a half ago or two years ago, I came up just with this idea of all of the stories that I had heard over the last 10 or 12 years Going to conventions, going to screenings, um, you know, see, seeing random people at events, and you hear all these awesome fan stories. And when kind of the resurgence happened in 06, 07, and then kind of bled into 8 you're like, "Oh, these stories are neat," and like they're gonna they're gonna stop telling them pretty soon, and like it's gonna wind down, and no one's gonna come up and tell you these stories. Let me. That has not stopped. Those stories have not stopped. <laughs> And because of that kind of dynamic, I realized that, uh, you know, a number of years ago that there was something there, that Monster Squad fans are, are rather unique, not just genre fans, and your movie's a genre movie. Therefore, I like your movie because I'm a genre fan. That's not what happens. And Monster Squad fans are, are, are really kind of super attached and connected to this movie for one of many different reasons. And those stories I kept hearing over the years told me different reasons why they were connected. Uh, whether it was their, you know, the, their favorite movie to watch with their brother or their sister or their best friends in the cul-de-sac or the neighborhood, or they stole the VHS from the local video store because uh, you know they rented it every weekend, or the video store just guy just to just take it, get out of here, and just take it and go away. Um, or if they're one of the eleven people in the United States that saw it in the movie theaters in 1987, and so they're very, those are very special people. <laughs> and you know, all these stories, you know, kind of had the same kind of weave to them but they were all different and very unique and so my original idea was you know is there some way to celebrate that like because it's very unique and very dynamic they didn't let this movie die like it should have been dead a long time ago and even when it was dead it wasn't really dead and we just didn't know it because we didn't have the internet no one was around they couldn't talk to each other they couldn't share it with each other they couldn't kind of share that connection they thought they were singularly connected to something that no one else understood uh, Sands, maybe their one buddy or their friend or their brother or sister, uh, and then that we had that kind of reunion screening at the Alamo Draft House in 06 and it just kind of went crazy from there. So all of that interesting kind of experience and those stories, I wanted to find a way to celebrate that dynamic, but also how do you tell the story of those stories? And that was the original concept, and it was it was it was much grittier and much cheaper and much, you know, you know totally different than what we have today. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary year and we're going to go to a bunch of appearances, a bunch of conventions. Let's just, you know, I'll go get a camera and then like we'll sh- just shoot some like on the street interviews with fans and like we'll ask one of our editor friends to cut it together for free. <laughs> and then we'll have this little documentary and like maybe we'll put it on our web page for like a buck or something. Or if it's really bad, maybe just free. And that kind of got put on put on hold for a little bit and I, I ran in I, I didn't think it was going to happen uh, and then I realized that there was something there and I had a very um, kind of uh, synchronistic run in one day with uh, who is now my production crew and team at Pilgrim Media Group um, on a sidewalk like I was taking my friend to lunch that works at that company and these three guys came out to go to lunch themselves and we kind of just bumped into each other and got introduced and It started from there. And then I ended up pitching the concept to that studio. They sold it up the chain of command on their side. And we just ran with it and put together a really interesting deal. And then we didn't know what we were going to end up doing in the next year. And it was bonkers. And it was absolutely amazing. (laughs) And it's what we have with Wolfman's Got Nards Documentary. So much deeper and further down the line and and much more cinematic and much more quality and heartfelt uh, than... Just that original idea of what could we do to celebrate the fans because they've been celebrating us for thirty years, thirty-one years now. Like, how, how do you turn the how do you turn the focus back on them because they're the ones that the reason we're still talking about this movie uh, that everybody loves and it's not a bad movie. It's a, the movie bit did poorly in the movie theaters not because it's a bad movie. There's some other factors involved in possibly that dynamic, and we talk about that in the documentary. Um, but everybody loves Fred Decker's movie and Shane Black's and Fred's script and they connected with it somehow and they didn't let it die and I wanted to find the answers to why.
0: Excellent, cool. So you are talking about these stories. Uh, Is there a particular story, because what we're going to do is we're going to share our own stories here uh, with the crew, but uh, was there a particular story that you love that stand out without, I guess, getting too spoilery or maybe one that, was, that didn't make the cut that you were bummed that didn't end up in the film?
4: It, well, there's a ton of that. because we we, shot, we we have a 90-minute documentary and we have so much footage that I had to cram actual content during the final credits because that's such great stuff <laughs> that we didn't want out. But we shot so many great interviews and so much great footage in less than a year like, we started rolling cameras and we finished this documentary uh, in less than 12 months. Wow, that's incredible. And we shot 50 terabytes of footage. Holy <laughs> hell.
0: Jeepers. <laughs> Wow. And we traveled. just like let the camera roll? Or yeah, we, we, we usually had multiple cameras
4: rolling at events and that counts B-roll and interviews and you know, a crew of three or four following us around on the road. We went on that Alamo Drafthouse tour. We went to London and did a screening at the Prince Charles Cinema of the movie. Cool. Caught that, so we got a little national flavor there. And there's a lot of UK fans. And that's one of my favorite stories that we ended up finding out about. And so it was just this, this massive amount of happening during a year and there's a ton of great stuff that we shot that's just not in the movie that may have been in an early cut, but then this movie changed as we were cutting it about eight times, according to Henry, <laughs> who's actually my producer and editor and, and, and DP on this and, and the main guy of, uh, of the crew at Pilgrim. And it's kind of weird when you go into something and you're like, wait, what happened with the thing with the shot with the guy that says or the girl that had the interview with the thing? That I like, yeah, that's not in anymore. You're like, what do you mean it's not anymore? That was one of the staple things that we had from day one. He's like, yeah, this is changing. And you're like, wait, what? And that only means you're getting great stuff after the fact that kind of comes in and and, yeah. and and replaces something in 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 that pile. And you're like, that's that's insane. But what it means is there's some really great shit that's going to be on the Blu-ray. <laughs> so there's a lot of extra stuff. So cool. um, it, it works out on the on the business side of it because yeah. there's some good stuff for people to see. So our festival cut right now is, I mean, it's still jam-packed. Um, I, I, Tad, you've seen it, right? You're, you're the only one that's seen it in here? Or has everybody seen um, it in here?
2: I think just me and Nikki. She, okay, she was right. here when I was testing so,
4: it. In, in, the festival, in this cut, like there's, it is jam-packed full of stuff, right? It never slows down. It doesn't drag. We go, it's amazing. Uh, but it doesn't go like a free-for-all. It kind of has a, a tail to it. It reads like a narrative kind of script and a story, and it's, it's rather emotional at points um, on purpose. And then some places that are emotional just for certain individuals that we didn't realize were going to be emotional for people. So that's amazing. And there's some laughs cut in there, too. But it also tells the, tells the story. But it's not, it's not a fan doc. It's not if you saw you know back in time or you saw uh, best worst movie or the Ghostbusters doc, uh, and it's also not a definitive making of documentary. That's not what this is. They did that on the 87 special edition DVD. That's fine. Um, this is a it's a it's a film of a story about a relationship between fans and their favorite movie or about any movie that fans have a connection to and it kind of transcends that we go into what is cult film has cult film changed is this a cult film should it be a cult film and we have a a unique little segment in there where you know about eight different people have different answers for that question Um, some people didn't know this movie didn't do well in the box office they just thought it was a giant movie hit that they loved when they saw it in the theater uh, others found it on HBO. Others found it on VHS. Others found it because their friend in the neighborhood had copied it off HBO and they shared it, you know, in their in their den in their in their parents' house, you know, you know after the after they all went to bed and saw it for the first time. Um, and so, bringing those stories, you know, kind of f- full circle. And the doc's about Full Circle. So there's so much footage in there. So there's a lot of good stuff that people are like, wait, where's my interview? Because I get asked all the time, did I make the cut? Did I make the cut? I was like, please don't ask me that. Please don't ask me that because, no, you didn't. But there's some great stuff that, I, that we're planning on later. So there's a whole other movie, at least, amount of stuff that can go on special features or on a website or, or Blu-ray. You just and tell them they're on the Blu-ray and yeah, they buy just it. On, you're, on the, you're on the bonus features. <laughs> bonus just buy features. It. <laughs> And um, and we we made little featurettes of like little short films and funny gags that we did on the road. Um, I'm not spoiling that, but we were in a haunted hotel in Texas, and so we played with that, and um, you know just you know just fun stuff. And so that's what kind of makes it fun. But shooting that much footage, making a documentary over wow less than a year. Yeah, that's insane. That means my guys that were my production team did a massive amount of work to put this together, and. Um, it, I just I, I couldn't be more pleased with 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 the work that they did and the enthusiasm and then kind of the finished product that was you know just so far beyond two years ago that original concept that had in my mind of let's put something together stupid and fun just for the fans and say thank you yeah. and this is this is much this is much, we're in a much different category now and we've been in festivals all over the world and we've got more coming and we've got we're in some of the biggest genre festivals on the planet and it's just mind blowing
0: so it's very neat. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, uh, we'll check in with the other guys here. So oh, there's we, other people um, here. I'm sorry, oh, what <laughs> other
4: people I'm supposed to talk? It's like don't give Andre Gower a microphone
0: <laughs> and share um, our stories with with Monster Squad. I'll kick it off um, uh, with Monster. I can remember exactly the first time I ever saw Monster Squad. It, I was, it, I was, it was that transitional period for of me, for me, where I was like too scared to ever watch horror movies to. Being the horror movie junkie that I am today, and that was that was the summer between ninth, or eighth grade and ninth grade, and I You were
1: wearing a Hawaiian shirt.
0: I, well, that's probably true. Probably true. true yeah. Um, but uh, I rented it on VHS from the local video store, and um, and it was like back in the day when it came out on video. Even, even then when it came on video it wasn't like super readily available. You go to the video store and there's like 10 copies of Cobra but then like one copy of Monster Squad, right? So but I rented Monster Squad and I watched this movie and like I was just I was just uh, sucked into the idea of the of the Monster Club. I loved the Monster Club so much and I wanted to be a member of your guys' Monster Club so bad. And so, uh, and there's a total butterfly effect with uh, this particular podcast here. Um, uh, I immediately after Monster Squad, um, we I started my own club in school called the Gore Gang, and uh, and it grew from that there. alliteration. You got go? to
5: It's that alliteration yeah. that really hooks you. Gore title. Gang. Yeah, I like
0: it. <laughs> Thanks. And, um, and you know, in the Gore Gang, we'd, we'd get together, we'd watch horror movies, we'd make horror movies, but uh, to get into the gang, you had to answer questions, just like in Monster Squad. We prepared our questions ahead of time, so we weren't making up answers like they do in the Monster Squad, but, um, but uh, so from there, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, in, in the Gore Gang, that's when I started, we started making movies that bug never left me which led to uh, making movies nowadays with my company prescribed films which has led to creating this podcast so this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the monster squad so mm-hmm. Well,
4: will see those are those are great stories and that's <laughs> what you know you can so you'll probably like the documentary cuz I'm so excited it was it was made for it. you and that story so
0: yeah we, yeah. And if you want to squeeze that story into the doc somewhere, that's fine. All right, so... Uh, I don't have, an, I don't did, have any cameras. Is this
2: story going to make the cut? <laughs> I know a screen. Oh, on the
0: Blu-ray. It's going right. to be on the Blu-ray. Blu-ray. It'll be on the Blu-ray. By the ray <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just start down there at the end. Jason, what yep. about you? Mine,
1: mine's uh, pretty similar. I, I come from a very small town called Watcheer, Iowa. There's maybe seven, 800 old people and a few of us kids. And we had... Um, there's there's hardly any businesses in town and but we had this restaurant when i was growing up and in the back room of this restaurant they started renting videos and it was awesome you know we would every free chance we got we'd go in there they'd also rent vhs cameras back then too so we'd save up save up months you know and then we'd get the camera and we'd go make dumb movies but in in that time we'd rent monster squad and and again there wasn't a wasn't a lot of kids in my little town and i definitely was not one of the popular ones so but there was this we had our own little gang and and like mike said we we started making movies we called it all ourselves there was four of us and we called ourselves the four shadows mhm that's right ooh right ooh, yeah, i right? like that and then uh so we did that a lot and we, you know we that's just right in the time we started falling in love with horror and and eventually one of my best friends moved to Mike's town yep. and started helping him with movies and then I got to come be in some of his movies and we all started we're making movies and that led to our you know, prescribed films and this and I, I don't think I'd have as, as half my friends I got now if it wasn't I mean I can, it seems to trace back to that a lot of it
2: well, we're, well, all your friends are up here so I know and that's what I'm saying
1: <laughs> I would, just wouldn't be here without that movie it's crazy well, again, that's um, those
4: are the type of stories that I don't. I hear those because I'm from the Monster Squad, but I don't <laughs> hear other people at events or appearances or con- hearing those stories. Like I don't. I, it, like I think talking it's about other movies. Yeah, in that I way. just don't. And not yeah. saying that there isn't those stories out there because I'm not sitting at everybody's table. But that's what kind of struck me as unique. That it's it's very special to a lot of people and it means a lot. And they go they cycle right back to those times. So when you when you get a chance to see the documentary you're the the point there's a couple camera shots that are on purpose and some some music swells and some things that are geared and they repeat a couple times and the first trigger of that is to to spark that first feeling when you walked in that back room in that restaurant oh yeah and you're going to and hopefully that actually comes across but that's sort awesome. of sort of where we got a little cinematic with making this story of telling the stories
1: oh even the trailer alone gets me swelling up <laughs>
4: Well, then, good. It's a good trailer. Yeah, thing.
2: yeah.
1: Ted, yeah. what, Dad, you
2: what tell about you? Um, you guys are probably just going to like point me out of the room, but um, I guess I, I we did have the movie on a VHS tape. I'm guessing my parents must have recorded it from HBO, but we had this VHS tape with it, it was essentially like my mom's mixtape of Halloween. So it had Disney's Halloween treat on it. It had, um, with all the commercials, and I remember Monster Squad was at the end, and I don't recall, I did not watch it a whole lot as a kid, but obviously when when it was coming out on DVD, it sort of had this um, resurgence, and at that time I was just sort of getting into the horror community, finding other people online that were into it, and everybody's like, you know, oh, this, and it was Night of the Creeps, I think, both came out right at the same time on DVD and Blu-ray and I was one of those uh, people who stood out at Walmart at midnight and, w- and waited for them to cut open the box and grabbed one and uh, took it home and revisited it and it was weird because it was like running into a friend you haven't seen since elementary school and it's like I didn't re you know it's like I don't I didn't remember everything about it but little like certain scenes would be like okay yeah now you know it's all flooding back So it's sort of... I wish we still had that VHS tape just because I would love to watch it from front to back and see what else was on there.
5: That was going to be my first question. That sounds like a great Halloween program. Just put that VHS tape in and just play it for
2: friends. We're playing that tonight, but no.
0: (laughs) I remember when those DVDs came out of Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps because there was such a huge gap between the VHS of those movies and getting them on DVD. And there was such such starvation for those movies. We want them so bad. But, oh my god, how horrible is that Night of the Creeps cover that on that DVD? Yeah, that yeah. like neon yellow garbage weird. going on?
4: Yeah, those are the DVD covers and art for news st- because the Monster Squad DVD has nothing to do with the movie The Monster Squad. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I think our original poster art that was on the box cover, the blue with the monsters they had and us sitting on the car, is a really, really neat. Movie poster. It's actually
5: the one that's on my DVD right now. Like, I think I found a printout or something. I just slipped it in, and that's the cover for me. Because I think, I think to your point, like the other one, it's a little generic looking. Like, it doesn't have a specificity to it. That
4: yeah, it's like a kid with like a a shaggy Jonathan Taylor Thomas haircut and like a bandolier of like elephant bullets and like they're like it's like fifty caliber rifle slugs on a thing and like they've got like a, a a curved dagger and like a mountain of skulls. I was like. What movie is that from? Yeah. Um, and I still don't know to this day, but, so they released the DVD notification, and everybody went bonkers, that was cool. So we had a couple months of anticipation, and then they released the art for it. they like, new fan art, for, or not fan art, but I, fan art would've been better for the box cover. <laughs> you know, new DVD cover art, and everybody went, the hell is this? Like, no, we want the Monster Squad art. Like, I wonder if you're redoing it, just make sure it has to do with Monster Squad. And I saw them, people started emailing, and, and, and I think this is like Myspace days, like Myspacing me about uh, like, what the hell is this? How? You know, I was like, I didn't make this art. I didn't, I'm not making the DVD, I have nothing to do with this. And so I had to like, I, I just got inundated with like fan, the opposite of fan love about that art. And I, felt, I was like, oh my gosh, how do you handle this? And so I kind of just wrote like an open kind of thing out to everybody in reply to like Deadline or something or Deadspin I think or something. And um, I was like, hey, look, you know, this, they, studios have an art department. They come up with a thing. It's what's gonna, what they, the marketing department, think it's going to sell. Not that studio marketing departments know what they're doing. <laughs> Apparently if you not. watch this documentary, you'll learn that. Oh, no. But, um, and I was like, look, I don't know. That's not me. It's fine. Just celebrate the content. It's fine. And they got such a backlash that when they made the first two pressings of the DVD release, because we, we launched it at San Diego Comic Con. And Lionsgate sold out of the first run of DVDs in three days because people awesome. were waiting at Walmart and <laughs> scooping up the two copies that they got and, or they pre-ordered the shit out of them and they were out in three days. So they had to make another one. And that sold out in a week, and then they had to make another third pressing of it, and that sold out like in another week or two, and then it was out again. So the DVDs were gone, and they they sold a boatload. But in that first pressing, there's actually an insert of the old poster art that you can take out and slide in. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. that's the one that. And I, I'm I, I believe have to check my DVD. I, I, yeah, when yeah I get ch- home. check on the inside, and what well, it is like, like one is of those, those
5: chapter table of contents. Yeah, the thing, first I think. run
4: has a, an insert of the original movie one sheet and on the back of that, there's a letter from Fred Decker. Oh. In the second run, it's just the art and no letter from Fred. And in the third run, there's no insert. <laughs> well, I feel really special. I didn't know yeah, I if you've got, got that first round. Yeah, you run. Okay. you got the first round. So that's what everybody kind of slides that in uh, and covers up the other one. So the funny story, <laughs> we launched it at Comic-Con and we go up into the press room and doing the stuff. And like, yeah, it's great. And they have these two giant posters on easels. And they're like, okay, take the photos and the thing. And she goes, I don't remember her name, and I would not use the, the correct one anyway. But she's like, yeah, uh, Stephanie wants a photo with you guys. And it's me, Ryan, and Ashley. And we're standing in front of the poster art at San Diego Comic-Con for the DVD launch. I was like, yeah, okay, g- get right here in between the two posters. That has nothing to do with the Monster Squad.
1: And we, took, and we, and like I, we
4: put our arm around the, and we, I don't know who this person is. And she's like, great, thanks. And I was like, so what do, what do you do? She goes, I'm in the art department for Lionsgate. I made that oh. poster. And I went, oh, shit.
0: Oh. And so
4: I, my, my shoe tasted pretty good right then. <laughs> but you know, it didn't. I don't think it affected the sales. It was great, um, but our original post art is is better.
0: Oh, by far. Oh, yeah. yeah. And interestingly
4: enough, we always lament that the hero of the movie is not on that poster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Phoebe the Phoebe is not on. She's the hero yeah. of the movie and not on the movie poster. Mm-hmm. That That's
0: weird. True. And there is a story there. But
4: oh. what's the next like? I
0: yeah, Justin,
3: what do you got? When I was little, I learned about monsters through the Crestwood House Monster series of books at the library, and each one focuses on a different, like, one's on Frankenstein, one's on Creature from the Black Lagoon and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So before I even saw the Universal films, I was watching or reading those books, and I knew the stories. So by the time I discovered the films, I was like, oh, my God, because the library started carrying the tapes of them. And then this drugstore in town had a selection. It was a place called Creatively Drug Town. was... (laughs) Was the one of the first video rental places right after a U-Haul place in town. Nice. And I remember seeing the cover for this, and I saw all the monsters in one thing, which I had never experienced before. Because at that point, even the Universal, all that cycle hadn't really been re-released on video. Like Frankenstein's, I mean, like all the House sort of, of hybrid film. Yeah, House yeah. of Frankenstein and stuff. Those hadn't even come out. It was the primary films only. So anyway, it was so thrilling for me to see all the monsters in one thing. And so I took it home and I watched it with my brother and it completely changed my world. And I immediately, like you in a way, started a a monster club and I actually have a scar on my finger, audience, (laughs) uh, from when I was carving all of our names into a block of wood and the knife slipped and it cut and you can see the scars. So... and it's in a yes, and it's in a place on my finger, right where on your baseball glove where the ball lands when you get when you catch a ball. I know that spot. Yes. And, and my finger goes numb to this day when I bump this spot on my finger, and it's totally my Monster Squad, Monster Club scar on my finger. <laughs> so what this—that's this the bloodletting. This film taught me about so much. It taught me about. It Had taught me curve. about. <laughs> Not that clearly safety. <laughs> But it safety But it, 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 it At first The first thing it showed me Was that I wasn't the only kid In the world Reading famous monsters And, re- and looking yep. at You know mm-hmm. Watching the old mon- the, the, the movies Second It was empowering as a kid Yep Because oh, yeah. it's a film That's almost void of adults And the adults that are there Are kind of bumbling Or they're in the way And so It, it presented For one of the first times For me A universe in which The kids are the primary characters mm-hmm. And that was such a powerful thing For me And that emboldened me as a kid to start writing on my own, which then writing became my gig. Um, Writing for Famous Monsters and Fangoria and all these other magazines and things that I do. And then that led to film production and the documentaries working for production companies and doing all the documentary stuff now. And it it really, I mean, quite frankly, honestly, while I loved Monsters before this and while I was into that, that universe, This film took it into such a personal realm for me with that tie to childhood. And it so perfectly sort of bookmarks this moment in my life that led to literally everything that I've done since, professionally and personally and creatively. So it was a huge moment for me.
4: That's nice. So so you see why I thought there was an interesting documentary to be made of this connection? Because, I mean... We're about to hear you know, a fifth one, but you know there's four in a row that are completely unique, but about really kind of the same yeah. kind of dynamic and, 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 and energy there and I, I just I couldn't, I, I couldn't pass that up I couldn't pass up that opportunity and I don't think anybody this is not you know tooting my own horn, um, but I don't think anybody else could have also brought that out in the same way because I'm inside of that as well. I'm not just in yeah. the movie. I understand this fan dynamic now. And it took a while to realize what it was because you just didn't really understand it in the first couple of years. And it took a lot of people, um, you know, a little bit of time to realize that, like your stories, that those are real things and very impactful. And it, it blows it blows me away. It blows me away. And, you know, you're about the... the those monsters that you read about and got interested in—that was sort of a gateway into, you know, the, the other movies and and even Monster Squad. Seeing them for the first time, yeah, it was the first time it was done, really, with all those classics. Um, and it was interesting that Universal passed on the movie because, like, why would we ever put these monsters together? That's a dumb idea. Crazy. And then, like, set eight years later, they made Van Helsing, um, <laughs> <laughs> which sucked. <laughs> And, yeah. right. But it was still <laughs> fun. I mean, Van Helsing was a product of bad you know, bad digital effects at the time right. to try to do them all. It was, you know, whatever. It's a fun story, kind of. Well, and, well that's a whole other topic. But, yeah, the like, whole other the topic. The problem
0: with Van Helsing is ter- taking these classic monsters and turning it into an action film and not, <laughs> and you know, not a fun, of nostalgic horror. type of yeah. Roots
4: of Horror thing. But you saw those monsters for the first time and then you connected with the kids as an individual or as a group and you realized that there was something there. And you don't realize the power of just that simple story that it's just a story that Fred came up with in his mind and he had his buddy Shane it was like you got to watch the doc of how the the, the origins of the story came because cool, we cool. we talk about it and it's just, they just sat down and started writing stuff that they thought would be a fun story and then Shane got a hold of it and put all of his nostalgic, you know, freakiness in, into it which is what he is. I mean he's just an encyclopedia of old pulp nostalgia and classic stuff. And Fred's a movie buff and a film cinephile. He's a cinephile, you know, uber echelon 33rd degree movie <laughs> mason. <laughs> and, and, and to combine those two with different elements and styles, but it came from a, simp- it came from the simplest idea. Fred Decker woke up one day, I don't know when, and said, what would it look like if the Little Rascals fought the Universal Monsters?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah.
4: And then they said, okay, let's write that.
0: (laughs) All right, well, uh, it's a great story, though. Golly, man. (laughs) Remington, what about you? Uh, I
5: think mine's a little bit of a mashup uh, kind of along the table here because my parents had me when they were pretty young, and I was born just a year before the film came out, so unfortunately I wasn't able to be there in theaters. Um, but I... It's so, all right, you weren't the only one. I, I, <laughs> but it's, it's been kind of interesting to think about its effect after the fact in a way because um, in college I wrote a paper about horror films and I was trying to think of an intro and so I called my dad up and I was like, was The Monster Squad the first movie I saw? Was it probably the first movie I saw? Because I have a vague memory of being maybe between five and seven and seeing it. like as my first movie experience. And he was like, yeah, I think so. And for me, you know, I didn't have a problem with that. But, of course, other people, like, they hear that you see Predator when you're 8 or 9. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Um, But I always remember, like, having that distance, like, knowing those special effects. And I was like... um, And it turns out my dad had a very similar experience. We had an older brother who showed him all the monster magazines and whatnot. So I was definitely, like, cut from the same cloth. Um, But, you know, it maybe wasn't until... um, you know, college that I really revisited it hard because I realized I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I was wondering if it was just nostalgia that I really liked this movie. Uh, And so this was before the DVD came out and I rewatched it. And I was like, damn, this really still holds up. Um, It does. And definitely like as an after the fact thing, um, just touching on a lot of what everyone else has said, like I grew up in a very rough and tumble life moving around different places and the environment was always changing and trying to help my mom out. Um, as the oldest, and then so like something like The Monster Squad, where the kids have agency, um, they're not just there to be saved, that sometimes adults can be very ineffective, and it can actually get in the way of things. I definitely identified with with some of the teachers that I ran across or some of the other adults, um, and felt like this was a movie that really represented how able and badass that you feel at that age, especially if you have to take on a lot of responsibilities. And so... It's a mishmash, I think, of like in the moment I really liked it and then as I've grown up and learned to appreciate maybe why I like it even more now or understand how maybe it's a... It, it's kind of like stories, how they guide you through things and so I think that The Monster Squad was like a reminder. It was just like kids can do things. You don't have to just be sidelined, um, you know, and at the same time, I think it's just it still works as a great piece of genre. Um, but there just haven't been a lot of movies like this, even still today. Like, people want to talk about the Goonies, but still, it's like kind of silly. And there's something about having kids in peril in a horror film that's a little bit different. And I felt like was more true to life than to some of the things that I had experienced. Um, and I mean, other than maybe Attack the Block, which came out in 2011, I don't know if there's been another movie where like kids really get to lead. In such a strong way, and and I really like Stranger Things, but even there, sometimes it's like the older teenagers are taking over a little bit more, whereas the Monster Squad, uh, you know, like they're barely in middle school. So, and
4: it's this is mind blowing right now because you know we're sitting here with you know five people telling their stories. It's like you wrote this documentary (laughs)
0: because every
4: single one of your like it's all represented with other stories. So you're you're not alone. I mean, these are. that's what it's about and so it's it's really neat to see it, it, that just continue when people remember why that they connected with it or some reason and to mention like to be cognizant of the fact when you're a kid it's like i like this movie because these kids are the one doing it i connect with i want to be one of them i can do that which I, you know in some other you know grander you know psychological you know it's like i can go out and do something like i don't have to I have a little bit of confidence in myself. It's okay if I go with my buddy and we're the only two guys that like this magazine or this movie or, you know, whatever. Or I can't play sports and so we're going to talk about this or, you know, it it doesn't matter. It's like the only other place that
5: that might exist is in Stephen King books, I found, where, like, the kids are going to take the role. Like, something like Salem's
4: Lot. Well, see, Um, you just hit on my thing because everybody asks, what's your favorite kids' adventure movie of your childhood? And it's either Goonies or The Monster Squad or, you know, whatever. And I always answer, it's Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is a Stephen King, obviously short story, Mm -hmm. but that's a really great movie. And the performances are great. Um, I'm mad that I screen tested and didn't get that movie because I did and I really wanted to. But I remember remember auditioning and screen testing for that movie and I thought it would be great. And everybody was great in that movie. And um, I, I read for the... Teddy Duchamp role, so oh. I was good. But Feldman's great as Teddy Dog Duchamp, is. and that's why he's Teddy Duchamp. Everybody's perfect in that movie, including the greaser asshole kids, right? Yeah. Uh, my okay, other favorite guns. Kid... That's
5: the that's the track here between yeah. Stand by Me and uh, the Monster Squad. And then
1: my <laughs>
4: other favorite kid adventure movie of the '80s is Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the ultimate Kids in Peril movie. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's a unique dynamic that kids, even when they're young, can understand that that's why they like something like this story or like Stand By Me or Red Dawn. They're like, Because the kids are doing it, it's not the parents. And that's one of the things I always lament as an actor that was in the movie, because I know the original drafts of the script, and they were much longer, much deeper. And it had so much more exposition and backstory with the kids of how much they know and why they know, and trying to get the adults to realize that this is happening and no one's listening to them. So they're like, screw it, we got to do it. And so we kind of cram it up into that one speech where I say, no one's going to do a thing about it but us, let's go. That... That's a payoff for like setups of like 20 minutes of us trying to get help that no one's listening or they don't believe us. And that's what's a shame about the movie that everybody's talking about and everybody loves is this awesome 82-minute really kind of extended short film uh, about this kid's adventure monster movie. Uh, there's so much backstory and so much other stuff that related to how cool the kids were or uncool the kids were. And how deep their knowledge goes of... And they're the only ones that could possibly figure out what's going on. And the only ones that could possibly make a difference. Um, and then later on, you, know, you realize as, you know, as an adult or you hear other adults, it's like, this is, this is a movie about misfits. This is a movie about outcasts. Or it's also a movie about just a group of friends that are loyal to each other for either no reasons or every reason or it's just because they're loyal to each other for some reason. And there's different representations of different types of kids. Like, why is Rudy the cool kid want to be a part of this group? And there's so much other stuff that you could go on with that story. And Ryan's got a great thing. He goes, I think, I think Rudy's the most damaged insecure kid of that entire group. He goes, "All the leather jacket and the ray band, those are all a mask. It's all a mask for a kid that just, he's just striving to fit in somewhere, and he's got to be cool about it. And why is he hanging out with a bunch of younger kids? Why would you do that? Um, but us younger misfit kids in a group always need that cool kid that's going to defend you or be that guy that, you know, so you can mouth off and have a little backup if you want to. Because, you know, that helps because that's what having a team and is what, about. That's what's right? awesome
1: with ensemble cast films is there's each of us can identify with a different kind
3: of person and different kind of thing. And Well, I think part of the, I think that you, you talk about the lack of backstory fill for those characters in a way that opens a door for the audience to put themselves into each one of them. And so we populate their backstories with our own, and that makes it more relatable in a way. Like, we get the the skeleton, and we flesh it out. Because it's going to happen organically anyway. If you're connecting with the film at all, and you find yourself in it, you're already filling in those blanks.
4: And that's a great point, because that's what I have gone away from, the lamenting that it's not there, to realize that it doesn't need to be. Because exactly your point. So it's... uh... And we try to show a little of that in in in, in the doc too. In um, it's just they they get it. Everybody everybody understands it. It's the, they don't need it. They got it.
5: It's interesting. Some of the responses I think to some people who've like seen it now in like 2017 or 2018. Um, I think I've heard this has only maybe happened once or twice. Where like um, when fat kid gets called um, faggot and. The, the, and then, like, the kind of bullying that happens. And I think some people are just like, oh, man, that's really dating. And I was like... Stand by me. St- uh, yeah, train. <laughs> 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 Got to run against the, against the train. Um, but, like, even in the 90s, like, I remember bullies just being jerks and using those same, tam- oh, yeah. same types of phrases and oh, things. Yeah. So I was like, some things are very ubiquitous and as much as we want to resist it, I mean, even, you know, fat kid whose name is actually Horace, uh, you know, that would be the name that you'd be given. So I think there's also, like, a bit of an edge to it that I just think maybe it's when people grow up, they forget sometimes how rough it is to be a kid. And and, and so something maybe like let the right one in or it, uh, you know, being R rated. It's like one of the, some of those few examples where they're willing to go and not gloss over. I think some of the, more difficult parts, but we 're so used to those narratives that gloss it over that when something like the monster squad comes along, I think some people are like oh that's that 's offensive and i 'm just like well it 's either you're like you 're representing reality or you 're like trying to mask some of the things that people are uh, fighting against so
4: yes i I, I agree from <laughs> sorry no I, no I know I totally agree because uh, like justin 's point of filling in your own story with the characters and connecting and same thing with all the other you know kind of initial in, in entrees into this movie of how why you connect but the overall is that everybody connected because this movie uh the kids are not talked down to they're the heroes of the movie they're the ones making the decisions good good or bad and they are um the entire it's all real cuz this is you related to it because this is how 13-year-old boys talk to each other, whether it's 1977, 1987, or 2017, sorry, we do have a different world, better perspective. Hopefully, we're treating people better as a whole or as individuals, which is a good thing, but this is how young kids talk to each other, and especially at that time, and it really captured that moment, and you can't do that anymore. So that's why you won't see movies like that anymore because you're just not allowed to. Like, look, we're swearing, we're using derogatory words, uh, we're smoke a kid smoking, he's on a bike and he's smoking because he's not old enough to drive a car. That's how cool he um, is! We're handling firearms, we're you know we're blowing stuff up. It's like this is not you cannot do this in a movie with kids anymore, and that's why people even hold on to it tighter. And they're like, don't make movies. Or stories that mess with the heart and authenticity that we want and to a lot of the fans it's about the heart and the authenticity that it portrays. We cover, we open up the documentary um, with faces, some recognizable, some not, talking about the movie that changed something in their their brain Uh, and it's not all Monster Squad Um, we also open the documentary talking about showing the movie to a current university class. Huh and their first reactions are, "Okay, let's talk about the political incorrectness that you'll see in this movie." And like a, a room full of 19 year- olds are just taken aback. you know at some of the stuff like, "Oh my God, how, do you, how did you even do that?" But that started happening even back in you know 2000, 2006, when we did the screening, we got a question from an audience member who had not I don't think had seen the movie originally. They just came to the screening and asked Fred Decker. Uh, how do you feel, you know, how bad do you feel now about writing a movie that was so mean to people and using politically incorrect words? And we were like, oh shit, uh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody was, was celebrating, it was the first time anybody's seen this movie in 19 years on the big screen, and then this gets, like, this is like a, just like, a like, like an 88 millimeter German shell coming in here, it was about <laughs> yeah. to just explode you on stage. And Fred said, look, I, I've got a light in my eye. I can't see you. So I don't know the you can. Have you ever been a 13-year-old boy? And she said, no. And we all said, okay. And she goes, why? He goes, because that's how they talked at that time. So that's yeah. what we wrote. You know, 20 years later, you don't know what lexicon is allowed or not. And I thought it was a, it was a truthful answer, but it was a, a, a smart answer. And it was also the answer. It was the only answer you could do. Uh, so much so that it ties in with that you couldn't make this movie anymore today. And they were remaking this movie. Oh, gosh. After the success of the DVD and the Blu-rays came out, um, Rob Cohen, who was a, actually a producer on Monster Squad, who was a young producer at the time, who's now a big, you know, gigantic Hollywood producer, um, got together with um, uh, Michael Bay and okay. was going to remake Monster Squad.
0: <laughs> oh, no.
4: <laughs> and that went into like development world for like four or five years, and they had a writing team, and they just couldn't crack the script because you. I, I bet you that's a hard script to crack, to, to do the heart and authenticity that made it so enjoyable by fans that how do you go get a wider, current, modern audience of kids to go see this movie, and I don't know how you do that. And so that ended up... Um, when Universal announced the Dark Universe... The remake of Monster Squad died. Oh, thank God! And then the Dark Universe died. So yeah. it all's right oh. in the world. So yeah. it's good, right? Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate that the yeah, the totally. Dark Universe kind of tanked. But I, I don't think they went about those movies yeah. the right well, way, it's, right? It's the
0: same thing I was saying about Van Helsing. They're, they're taking, they're taking what you know, taking these hol- these Universal monsters and just turning them into like dumb action films. Right.
3: Well, and enough can't be said about how the monsters were handled in Monster Squad, because who would have ever thought, and the reason there hasn't been a remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon, no one could get it right. This is the one film that gets the creature right post the three creature films that initially came out. And all the monsters are handled with care in this. I mean, the only one that's kind of thrown... uh, I mean, there's a twist on each one of them, like the relationship with the kids, with Frankenstein, Monster, and the mummy has some humor, you know, with the Mm -hmm. unwinding and all of that. But ultimately there's a sincerity with how they're approached that doesn't use them as props and mm-hmm. it doesn't make a joke of them and it also doesn't make them anything super or more than what they originally were they're just what they are and there's an honesty with that presentation that I think a lot of horror fans people who came up loving this stuff really appreciate
0: yeah and that's the thing with those the monsters in monster squad you know if they had the opportunity they would just they would have ripped those kids apart i mean you got dracula Calling this little tiny, picking this little girl up by her head and calling her a bitch to her face. I mean, they're yeah, they're not they're not played for jokes at all. They are played very straight. Yeah, like, Mummy maybe a little bit more on the jokey side, but like uh, they don't really know what to do with Mummy. Well, Universal
4: yeah, didn't either, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the whole Mummy thing you have to have the Mummy in there, and we we cover all of this in the documentary with uh, interviews with Fred that explains the origins of those, and also we talk to uh, every single uh, key creature maker from Stan Winston's shop awesome. that made these monsters, and so you're going to like yeah. that part of the doc if you're a, if you're a creature feature guy uh, or gal. And um, it, it's very unique of how much massive amount of work goes into creating those practical monsters. It's just un- and this is before there's a little digital effects in Monster Squad, and they're all you know bad. But we have matte paintings in Monster Squad, yeah. which don't exist anymore. Yeah. There is you know some you know some. VFX stuff in there that is not new stuff but it's used and it's old and yeah, the, guy that, the guy that did the visual effects on Monster Squad is a guy named Richard Edlin who'd done a, you know, a few big movies like Star Wars and stuff <laughs> like that so it's all these you know awesome people making this movie and I love the story behind how these guys got to create these practical monsters for Monster Squad. It's Tom Woodruff Jr. It's uh, Steve Mahan and John Rosengren and Alec Gillis and uh, Steve Wang and Matt Rose they were all 20 something young new newbies that working in Stan Winston's shop and now every single one of those guys they actually split off and teamed up together all run the top creature effects in Hollywood yeah, today mm-hmm. awesome. and they all work together on the Monster Squad and even Stan Winston's as a as a shop was fairly new in '87 because they had done two movies before that. They yeah. did Terminator and um, and uh, a, uh, Alien. They did Terminator, and Alien, Aliens, and, aliens, and, aliens, and then um, they did Predator uh, right after Monster Squad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, after we yeah. shot Monster Squad, yeah, because yeah. there's a little correlation with how the actual Predator. Because this is the new Predator. Because Predator, they shot for like a month. In the wrong location, and they had Jean-Claude Van Damme running around in what they call the red chicken rubber suit as the alien, and it's terrible. Uh-huh. And so they scrapped the movie and went back, and Schwarzenegger said, Hey, uh, I know these guys, you know, they did Terminator, they're pretty good, let's <laughs> see if they can create a Predator. And if you look at our Gilman paint scheme and Predator paint scheme, it's, it's rather right there. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And uh, there's a great story that Steve Wang tells of why he made Gilman the way he did with the paint scheme and why Predator came out because Steve at that time was this fresh idea of, you know, when in, throughout the 80s you had all these aliens and they were all like, they were purple or, or orange and like, you know, had, you know, they glowed in the dark or something. And it was like, if this was a superior or malevolent being coming to, like what would biologically, realistically that look like? So I wanted to kind of craft the paint scheme and the, and the design of these creatures of, that would be, kind of realistic if it yeah. actually happened like yeah. with Predator and all that and there's a, there's a great backstory some of that's talked about in, in the documentary cool. and because uh, these guys are just phenomenal talents and they were figuring out how you how, uh, on the fly
5: and you had just like really amazing performances I mean especially like Tom Newman like he just he kills it um, as the monster um, but then like I teach film production classes and I'll show my students the Wolfman transformation and they're now there's just enough of an age gap uh, that they have not seen a lot of practical effects. So when I show them that sequence uh, from the monster squad, they're just like, "What the hell was that like I didn't know you could actually do that so it's interesting to see um, see the film through new eyes as well and to like try and find ways to introduce uh, the film to them or films of that era from the 80s where you did have like a team of guys that are trying like magician tricks basically like the transformation scene in the Werewolf in London and, yeah, which I, th- I London. think
4: American Werewolf in London is, is a pretty good transformation scene um, but John Rosengrant's transformation in the phone booth in Monster Squad might be better it's really good, but when you also look what they, because we talk about it on the doc, of how they got the inspiration to make our Wolfman and their transformation, they use all that. Yeah. They use all the classic, they use the Jack Pierce, they use the hammer, they use all the other stuff, and they put it all in one thing. And I was fascinated on set watching, because the, uh, speaking of Tom Noonan, we, I didn't know who Tom Noonan was, I didn't know what the man looked like, because we never saw him or Duncan out of character, or out of makeup. We weren't allowed to see them offset or as real people. And Tom Noonan's a method actor. He's so method that one day they stopped shooting at like 4am and he went home in the makeup. Because it takes about two and a half hours to take all that shit off. It takes like four to put it on, it takes two to take it off. And he went home in it one night because it was so late. I just wish there was like cop dash cam footage of him being pulled over like that. (laughs) That would have been amazing, right? Um, But that suit that Wolfman and the Trent, those are It's a football helmet with fur and eye and the remote controls with wires and guys are underneath them moving the eyebrows and the teeth and doing all this. It's just fascinating and a lot of work. And then even the Gilman suit, you see in the documentary, not that it's a spoiler, but that's a new way to build a suit. That was one piece. That whole thing was one piece. And the full circle story that Tom Woodruff Jr., who made Frankenstein's makeup for the Monster Squad, is also the guy in the Gilman suit, because he always wanted to play the monster. And he got the nerve to ask and the chance to be in a suit, and now he's known as one of the original great suit guys, because he's always in a suit, and he never would have happened if he didn't. Get in the Gilman suit. That's awesome. awesome. And right. so that's another part. That there's a lot of full circle stories of what happens with people's careers and things like that around this movie, even with the effects guys. And um, I, I mean, Tom Woodruff, because uh, we all, we talked to all these guys and they're all still friends. They're amazing. They are so amazing what they do. And talk about full circle Tom Woodruff Jr. and Studio ADI and Alec Guinness, who also worked on Monster Squad, uh, they just made all of the practical stuff for. The Predator, which opens this weekend. Ooh. And so now t- they're back working with Fred Decker and Shane Black for a crazy Predator movie, um, wow. which is pretty good. I saw it. I went to the LA premiere. So it's, uh, please go see The Predator. Uh, support all these amazing people that make rad yeah. stuff. Uh, the movie, uh, d- don't leave, so pee before the movie starts <laughs> because once it starts, it doesn't stop and there's no like dragging points. It just It goes and takes off. And uh, there's a lot in that movie. Um, but there's some phenomenal performances by that whole cast that you know that Shane put in there. And the script is funny. Um, and uh, so Fred, you know, Fred and Shane, you know, p- people, will, people will always talk about things that they don't like about a movie or whatever, but you also got to go in there and say, you know what, I wish I had seen that or I didn't really like that part. That's fine, just as long as you follow it up with. But this was awesome and that was really cool because you know what? You didn't make that movie. Like you're sitting in a guy in a, in, in a movie theater in you know Tallahassee, Florida, nitpicking someone's work, and you have no idea how hard it is to do that or, or what it takes to make a giant hundred million dollar studio movie. Everybody thinks that's actually easier. It's so much harder to make a hundred million dollar movie than it is to make a one million dollar movie. And there's so much in this movie, and it's just bonkers. And I enjoyed it. It was, it was great. I got a chance to go to the LA premiere, and it was awesome to. You know, Fred and Shane, you know, working together again on some just crazy, just roller coaster ride so of a cool. movie with an amazing cast. Um, and there's 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 a couple of Monster Squad little
1: uh, little, little hey. love notes and in, nice. in, oh. in in
4: Predator, which is which nice. is very cool.
1: That's awesome. Very cool. Dang,
4: buried the lead there. Let's just like start with that.
5: Like,
1: oh, I buried the, no, a little sh- uh, <laughs> little
4: shout outs to Monster Squad <laughs> in the Predator. I, I don't so, know if they're coincidental or not, but. Um, I definitely I don't need to are.
0: see Predator. Go see the if anything Predator. else is to, to support uh, Shane and Fred, because nice to see them both, back together it, again. Yeah, back together again, and like with 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 Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps, and both of those movies, I love so much, and and a lot of horror fans love those movies. Um, but they both were you know box office flops that practically killed Fred's career.
4: There's no practically about it.
0: <laughs> well, he had one more shot, and that's the one that killed his career. <laughs> okay,
4: so I agree with that statement as yeah. well, but you have to he go back to this. it, too. It's oh, not he like we're he, making... We're, he, no. he said it himself. Fred will tell you that everything you don't like about Robocop 3, that's all my decision. I made the movie I wanted to make. But you're 27 I, I still years like Robocop 3, though. You're 27 years old, and this giant studio comes to you with a giant franchise and goes, will you direct number three? What are you going to say? No?
1: Fuck yes. Of course <laughs> yeah. you can be like, yeah. uh, who's 27 where, at the time? Or 28,
4: yeah. Oh, my he was God. He only 25 or something my when we made Monster Squad. Wow. Good. So bringing up Fred and Shane, they're both in the documentary and give amazing
1: stories. stories. Awesome.
4: Uh, Fred's is the one that is different than everybody else's. And... Because he has a completely different personal connection with this movie,
5: he's the captain of the ship when it goes down. So yeah. right, yeah. and he has and uh, is resurrected. He has say.
4: been no uh, uh, completely unfairly in director jail for thirty years. Yeah. Very,
0: very unfairly.
4: And years. I think um, I, I think people o- over time, even industry people. Um, just sort of was like oh my god i would it, it's so funny i talked to development executives that you know that i have meetings with cuz i have a company and i'm making stuff now and you know and i and i pitch shows and i pitch projects and i've got stuff going on and you know we made this talk and i'm in a room uh, you get in the room because the guy that's running a studio is a monster squad fan
0: oh, <laughs> and you're like awesome.
4: well why aren't you having fred decker direct a movie out of your studio and they're like oh, does Fred want I didn't know he, like, I would. Oh, my God. But what oh, it is man. is he's coming from a fan perspective. He's like, oh, my God, I would never approach Fred to ask him to do something for me. I'm <laughs> right. like, ah, you're a development executive at a studio. Fred should be directing something here. What, you know, go, go ahead. And I think it's on both sides from Fred's perspective and from people's perspective. Like, they, they, they don't think they can connect. And um, I think uh, I, I think the director jail thing, you know, which is like a real thing.
1: It's a real thing, um, real thing
4: yeah. Look, someone who, who's a phenomenal director uh, is someone like Joseph Kahn, uh, is technically in director jail because a movie named Torque and Detention. Yeah, and yeah, people, yeah. people actually liked Detention. Like, was Torque great? Detention I think it was, was great, awesome. but Joseph Kahn is actually a really good director. And he's like, Yeah, you know what? That's okay. I make like five million every Taylor Swift music video that I direct now, so I don't <laughs> care. Nice. But he directed a movie that's specially now called Bodied, which is a great battle rap documentary. From <laughs> and it's really a good story. It's really well done. And it's, it's not a, it's about battle rap, but it's, it's actually a social commentary on current social issues today told in a, in a very smart way.
5: Is that in festivals right now? Yeah. Oh, okay.
4: And uh, it's, real, it's been festivaling for a while. It's almost been, been a year, but uh, I finally caught it at Fright Fest in London and it's phenomenal. And I got to meet Joseph Kahn, which is rad because um, I actually have a movie ironically, that I'm doing somewhere potentially right now that is a thing that I would love Joseph Kahn to direct. direct, But he'd be like, no thanks. But to see Predator and Shane, Fred and Shane working together on that, hopefully, you know, you get past, you know, the the controversy that came up, and then also maybe a movie. The the problem with a giant Predator action movie, it's also a Shane Black movie. And I think 50% 50% Fifty percent of the people that see Shane Black movies absolutely love them because they get it, and the other fifty is like, I don't get it. Mm. Mm. And so I tell those people, go see it again, watch it again, because you you've missed you get over you missed something. You're not wrong. You don't have to like it, but watch it again and see if you catch some stuff that you. There's so much crammed in there, especially witty back and forth two people dialogue. Right. Oh, nice. Yeah, and kiss, kiss, bang, bang. My favorite Shane Black movie. Absolutely. Uh, And that movie almost didn't get made, but look how it resurrected two careers, and one is the highest paid actor in Hollywood now. The guy was dead, literally dead in Hollywood, never working again, and knocks Kiss Kiss Bang Bang out of the water, being Robert Downey Jr., and now he's Iron Man, and he's back. I mean, he's one of our most gifted actors that we've had for the last 30-something years. Mm And, like, I mean, I've got less than zero on my DVR just standing there, so you can pop in and watch a crazy well made movie with a phenomenal performance that blows you away. And the guy was never going to work again. And neither was yeah. Val Kilmer. Yeah. And then you have Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And the studio killed that movie, but the movie resurrected two careers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I just go out and support that, or, you know, give them social media attention or love, or say, yeah, I can't wait to see the next thing, because you'll get good stuff that's made with heart and authenticity, whether. You know you like this project, you may love the next one or something, but um th- th- these are two talented guys that that should be cranking stuff out and i and I hope they get I hope they continue to get to
0: well, I got another uh, first time viewing story for you, um, maybe on the opposite side of the spectrum, but my my son is in the audience. my son <laughs> Simon is here nope. who's ignoring me because he knows I'm talking about him well, he does that well but anyway. Um, his performance is a killer. Few, a, a couple right. years back, he uh, we started watching Spenguli together. Remember Spenguli, bunny? <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, and and, uh, and he really latched onto Creature from the Black Lagoon. He, that was the, his favorite movie we watched on Spenguli. So I'm like, well, maybe it's time, you know, because he, he's always been. He, he was like just how I was at, this, at that age too. If I if a horror movie trailer commercial came on the television I had to leave the room. I was so terrified. So, uh, I was like, "Well, maybe it's time maybe Monster Squad's a good introductory film, right? You know, that'll that'll get you know, and it's got Gilman in it, so that'll help." So we watched Monster Squad and for the most part he, he's into it, but that scene, the scene that I think that is the point of no return for him. Is that, that famous scene, the wolf man pops out, <laughs> and you tell him to kick him in the nards, and... When Wolfman pops out, he just jumped 10 miles high. He's freaking out. He's going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I, I like I paused the movie. I'm like, well, I got to rewind it. I'm like, you're missing the cool line. Wolfman's got nards. He's like, I don't care. That scared me. So, so yeah, uh, we haven't been back to Monster Squad. Maybe one day I can well, get him to go and back. That, and that's but. totally
4: fine. And But,
0: you, I mean, you can't really have, like, a movie that needs some
4: scares without one or two jumps in there. Oh, but, absolutely. Yeah. And it's balanced off with, you know, some humor. And there, there's probably... Two or three kind of jumps. That's definitely one. <laughs> uh, and also, there's some, you know, the sound cue it's pounding off of a sudden He's just growling on on, on yeah. screen, and you're like, Ugh. and then it just goes bonkers from there. Um,
0: but it's interesting. And actually, that's the jump the-
4: creature comes out and gets the Twinkie, yeah. that actually gets some, pe- like, the they'd be tonight in the screening, there'll be five people that go, well, yeah, because they, they, they forgot about
0: it or it's, it's a good little jump. It's good. But it's, it's interesting that that's one of the, the biggest jump moments, probably one of the scariest moments of the whole movie mm. followed up by the most iconic line of the movie. Which
4: is just so absurd.
0: Yeah, I know, yeah. The most yeah. absurd thing. It's
4: just so absurd to do. Like, we're experts on <laughs> monsters, and, like, we know how to... Ki- like, we read all the books and all the stuff, and what's the solution? <laughs> turns out they're just kids, and just, they don't know.
0: Just kick them yeah. in the... Him in when, the when, it, <laughs> when
4: all else fails, just... just get someone right in the pills, right? I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> well, and also, it, it
5: kind of kind of ties in with the beginning because they're talking about what does Wolfman do when he transforms, like, wouldn't he lose his pants? So it actually is kind of like planting the <laughs> yeah, seeds there a little bit, be, oh, like, sure. this is going to be a little adolescent. Yeah, but, I mean, just... I'm, but just to piggyback on that, my wife is warning me, like, when we have kids that we might have one, a kid that's more like her at that age and just like, yeah, maybe don't immediately put the Monster Squad in front of him. I was like, we'll, we'll just feel it out,
0: you know, like yeah. see if they're interested. I mean, I'm hopeful that one day, because again, like I said, I, I was just like him when I was that age too. So I'm hoping that maybe one day I'll get him, get him into horror movies, but I'm not going to force it on him. He's got his own interests no, you f- and you, I support you find those, it When so, you find it, like I didn't yeah. really like a lot of horror movies when I was super young and I knew
4: how they were made. So, yeah, but they were right. still. If they're a good score, you lose that. Like, oh, that's a guy. There's a. There's a. Creature, there's a guy thing. Thing with blood squirting it out. You know. Uh, but some movies are just so well told that they're that they're kind of scary, and um, you y- y- you find your rhythm, you find your beats or whatever. But Monster Squad has been a gateway movie for a lot of people into the genre. But um, we feel <laughs> had some parents that this is the first movie that they show their kids. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he goes, my son loves it. My daughter loves it. I was like, how old is your son? He's like, six. We're like, whoa. Oh my whoa. Gosh. <laughs> He's like, that's, but I've realized that six is the new nine.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they're like, no, he
4: loves it. And then, uh, but some, there's like an eight year old that loves it, but the 10 year old's still scared. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and they, you know, they get different stuff. Um, but there's, we have, not only are the fans, the original fans that we're all now getting older and we've got some salt and pepper places. Um, it, but it's this whole second generation that it's actually connecting with, too, and we touch on that a little bit, too, because that's fascinating. I, we have a fan that we met years ago, kind of early on in the convention world, and then we saw her again, and uh, she was pregnant, and she wore a shirt and drew a mark on it and said, future Monster Squad fan here with an arrow <laughs> on, her, <laughs> on her bump, and I'm not kidding you, five years later, she, we read a thing, and she brought her son who had seen the movie and loved it, and then we finally got it. So we—I took two pictures with him. Wow! One you couldn't see him, and one you could see him. Oh wow! And this is amazing. This is like who gets to do that? You know who didn't do that? Cobra. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Go ahead with your ten boxes on the video shelf. Only one. It's like you know, Cobra doesn't have fans like that. I, I, th- I think it was a
5: year or two ago on the Movies Network. On like just basic TV, like you don't need cable or anything. Um, I was flipping channels. It's like middle of night, and Monster Squad is on, and I lost Excellent. my damn mind. I think I woke my wife up <laughs> because I was like, "Oh my God, the Monster Squad is on TV!" Who knows what kid right now might be flipping channels? Like I discovered, it, yeah. like uh, the Lost Boys, um, the remake of Night of the Living Dead, which led me to the original. Like I discovered those all on T on TNT as a kid, and uh, wow. and so just like the access thing. Is always like something that I'm thinking about. And so, like just to see it hit some basic network, I was so excited because I was like, how many other fans might like stumble across this and go, oh my God, I want to see this? Because it was on Hulu
4: briefly mm-hmm. and then it got pulled like in the same month, I think, last year. Yeah, they so. just ran it for Halloween. And then the year before that, it had a, a, a like a six month Netflix run.
5: So it would be just and nice if somewhere it was like more permanently based. So I'd love to see it if it was just like a real I think it's on Sky on Demand
4: in, in the UK right now. I think it's back on Hulu at the moment, it might be, unless okay, it's it out again. Back. But that's another interesting dynamic about the history of this movie. It's been on almost every single media that you could put a movie on. It came out on 35 millimeter. Uh, it went to VHS and beta, because there were still beta... Yeah. options around Still in, in 88 uh, it was on laserdisc in japan and america the japanese one's the only widescreen one i think so the american one's the pan and scan mushed one that you missed a quarter Yikes. of the, the, yeah. the, the <laughs> images uh, and then it died for years and it came, then there was a bootleg dvd that went around for 10 years during the 90s that people were paying like 50 or 60 bucks for on ebay it was I a bootleg dvd right mind a bootleg <laughs> right? Mine and then it comes out on actual DVD double-disc set, and then two years after that, Lionsgate does a Blu-ray, and then AWA Films does another Blu-ray, and then it's on Netflix, and then it's on Hulu, and then it's back on Netflix, it's on Sky in the UK, you're like, this is insane. And then it's still showing in 35-millimeter kind of art houses every once in a while. And you know what's not? Hula Cobra Cobra <laughs> Cobra. That movie doesn't hold It's a great movie It doesn't hold up though It's, you know, it's fine uh, But I think You know Kind of all of this We all have those Personal connections with it But it's also We're in this like Rampant kind of surge Of nostalgia anyway And so you're seeing All of these kind of Rehashing of trying To capture that feel Some of them do it Some of them don't um, But you know If I wanted that Nostalgia feel I'll put in Red Dawn Or E.T. Yeah. I might not go see The new It yeah. Or Stranger Things, which are thoroughly enjoyable. I, you know, they're great. Yeah, but you know, I'd even rather you know if, if you're from that era, you want you want the you want the real sauce. The you know, source. you want that. that yeah, and um, it's not some facsimile of it or something, right? Uh, it, but we're in this weird thing, and I think we're all getting to the age where we realize that we're closer to not being alive than we were, yeah. you know, as kids. And uh, you, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're your ankle or your back hurts or something. You're like, wait, that didn't happen when I was riding my bike in the neighborhood when I was 11. Oh, man, getting old sucks. <laughs> and, you know, what can I do? Oh, let's watch Stand By Me, or let's, let's watch Monster Squad, or let's watch The Goonies. And, um, and you, know, you know, Goonies always comes up, and we always kind of have this, like, not actual friendly rivalry with The Goonies. Like, yeah. but there's no rivalry between Monster Squad and Goonies. There's no comparison.
0: <laughs> I mean the Goonies are great The
4: Goonies are great It's a great movie Fun movie They save their neighborhood From a developer It's great And the, yeah. the kids yell For the whole movie it, It's so. great they, you know, they, they didn't want to lose their house To become a golf course it's, it's a fun movie It's perfectly fine <laughs> <laughs> I mean the Monster Look the Monster Squad saved the world From fucking Dracula the world. <laughs> So you know it's, It has nothing to do With golf I, I it's just you know
5: I have to be careful but, I don't oversell it cuz some people really are attach the Goonies so if I Goonies say, are great I love the Goonies if I say but if I tell someone it's better than the Goonies then I then I think <laughs> I've positioned it wrong so I just try and say it's the Goonies versus Dracula and then I feel like that really Hopefully, no, Don't say Because fan. we are cooler than him. Right. Uh, you, I, I, really I know. Cool I'm trying
4: to, I'm trying to smuggle them in into, the, into the club, and then they'll realize that it's better. I had to do a, a, a great event at Fantastic Fest, which is called the Fantastic Debates, where they have this debate and then boxing match thing, which is bonkers. And I had to debate a a, a film programmer, an international film programmer, that is a huge Goonies fan, and she was amazing. And uh, I didn't know her, but now we're pals and we, 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 talk, we talk regularly. And so she, they were like, can it please be Goonies versus Monster Squad? And I was like, okay. I said, I got this. And uh, I won the debate. <laughs> but what was cool about the debate, you had to come up with, you know, it, you got two minutes and then two minutes and then two minutes in rebuttal. And I luckily got the second half of each. And I had uh, Guillermo del Toro and Nicolas Reffin sitting right in front of me, wow. cheering me on. And I was like, that was pretty cool. So yeah. We won. So they're bigger fans? I, I of- don't know. Um, I don't know if Guillermo understood like what I was saying <laughs> or Nicholas <laughs> <laughs> Revin, but I think they got the point. Um, but we clo- you know, what was great is you know, we closed it off with, I had an entire 300-person you know, like crowd say my last line for me. And I said, you know, because I knew what Anik was going to close with. And she closed with, you know, and goonies never say die. And like, like eight people said it with her. And so I wrapped up my last rebuttal minute or something. I said, "I said, you know what? You are right. Goonies may never say die. But Wolfman's and the whole place said, said it. God, and closed God. it out and I dropped the mic and we were done. It was great. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. But no, the Goonies was great. I'm just mad because I was actually, I read for Goonies too and didn't get it. So that would have been
2: oh, great. Did um, you read for Feldman's part? <laughs> Damn it.
4: <laughs> two for... You and Feldman. Two. And what's funny is... One of the Feldman's first thing he did was a commercial that I walked off the set of when I was like six. And they just replaced me with him on the day because he was like atmosphere or something. I f- if my mom tells the story accurately. I was just really scared and I wasn't comfortable and they were trying to cut my hair while I was running around a bunch of sheep or something. It was just really weird and I was scared and I wanted, I wanted the F out of there. And um, my mom was like, I'm, he's, I'm taking him home. <laughs> so I walked off the set when I was like six.
2: We have a surprise guest in the back, Corey Feldman. Corey, say, hey, come on out, it's great.
4: <laughs> Can it's I cut great. your hair? Oh, wow, you just stole my line. Um, look, I've known Corey my entire life. He's, he's great. I, I wish nothing but good things for, for Corey Feldman. I don't know if the world is letting him handle it right or if he's not handling it right, right. but the, the, the thing with the whole Corey Feldman phenomenon... And, God, now we're, this podcast by Corey Feldman. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna we'll, we'll we'll pivot here in a second, but um, I'd like to see Corey Feldman have a chance to go and do what he's good at. Yeah, and that's and that's being a character and reading lines and being good on camera. That's why he works so much because he actually is. Was a good actor, and I think he still is. And I'd like to see some some director take the right movie and like shave his head and make him a you know a, a you know a prisoner or something like, or just give him some role that's completely different and get him out of this craziness yeah. and um, you know let him act again. Um, and I just think all the circus stuff is is getting in the way of what he's good at. And yeah. um, I, I'd yeah. love to see you know Corey Feldman, the actor, do do some do some fun stuff again and, and do good. Um, so pivot now, and we'll talk about something. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I did probably read for the Corey Feldman role in Goonies. But, uh, you know, it's back in the day when you read, when you're a kid in the business at that time, there's a lot of you, and there's probably 20% of the kids that do most of the bulk of the work, but you all read for the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's why you know it. It's not like, this is is who you grew up with. It's kind of a weird childhood, right? You Right. you, You know everybody, and you're in the same audition rooms, and you're in the same movies, and you go to each other's house to jump in the pool and have birthday cake and stuff like that. It's just, it's.
0: You think back on it and you go,
4: yeah, that was pretty unique. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think that's about all the time we have. we got to wrap up. Uh, a lot of other great stuff going on. So, yeah, any final thoughts from What's the podcast What's uh, the future of Wolfman's Got Nards? Well, right now we were on uh, uh,
4: an awesome festival run. And it was important to me to... Um, to try to create that opportunity and then that just started flooding in after we kind of dropped that trailer on entertainment weekly some stuff came in so we've got a jam-packed festival schedule for the next um, two and a half months or so and hopefully by the time that winds down we will have some sort of uh, distribution deal in place where um, you know it's odd that we're talking this 2018 we're talking about a documentary about a movie that's 30 years old and the the, the lead of the conversation on distribution deal is actual physical media component of this doc, uh, which is odd. You think it's like, oh, just make a doc and put it on Amazon and you have a win. And I was like, that's absolutely true. But I think to service our fan base that people like this, because this is a documentary about the fans, for the fans, with the fans, by fans... Um, I think I think that's a neat little collector's piece to have. So hopefully there'll be uh, one of the main things will be a, a Blu-ray release for it with all those extra features and extra footage that we don't have because there's a ton. Um, and then you know hopefully some sort of uh, you know theatrical run. You know if 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 someone is up for you know putting up and promoting that. At the very least, hopefully I get to go around and do another Alamo Drafthouse you know tour in you know a dozen or sixteen or twenty theaters. And then uh, you know they're streaming and 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 international. So you know stay tuned to you know you can follow the progress of the doc at the squad doc on all the social media and on the website, uh, or follow me or, um, and we, we give you updates and 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 keep you tuned. I don't have any answers for that right now. That's all. That's all in the in the momentum uphill you know growing process. So. You know, the more people come out to festivals, the more people that tweet about it, the more people, you know, get on board, Uh, the more people that go watch the trailer on the website, um, then that just shores up the fact that you can get, you know, someone interested in doing, doing a good distribution deal for this very unique, full of heart and authentic documentary about a movie that people really dig.
0: Cool. All right. Well. I want to thank uh, want to thank you for joining us here. Thanks on the for having
4: me. I mean, it's, it's like awesome. this was
1: rad. Yeah. We could go on all day. We should just Probably do this could. like
0: I kind of want to same time okay. next
4: week. Like I'll just go, yep. like we'll yep. just chime in. I mean, these are great. I mean, <laughs> great perspectives and, and great stories. And um, that's why I, I mean, I'm just a movie dork too. I just like to talk around and talk about yeah. stuff we like, right? I yeah. mean, I said I liked Red Dawn.
3: <laughs> I mean, <it's> like,
0: <laughs> but thanks for
4: having me. I really appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed my time.
0: Well, good. Thank you for being on. And thank everybody for uh, watching us do the live show. And thanks everybody out there for listening. Um, We will see you on the next episode of Attack the Killer Podcast. Bye-bye.
2: Oh, no! Could this be the end of...